When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? We are back for season three of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. It is October. That means fall ball is popping up. That means the the writers in the lacrosse world are putting out a bunch of good, thirsty for college lacrosse content, and we're going to talk about that. Inside Lacrosse actually put out an article. Uh, it was more of a slideshow called 10 Questions for Fall Ball. By the way, I hate slideshow. I know they're trying to get their clicks up and everything like that, but there's nothing worse than a slideshow article. I absolutely think that they should just stack that crap for us. Um, anyway, before I dive into it and answer these 10 questions for Fall Ball, and we're going to talk about Maryland's new number one right at the top of all of that, uh, as always, you can be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor if you're an audio listener or anywhere where you can find podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it, we're there. And as always, you can go to laxfactor.com to get yourself some swag. And if you're an audio listener, go to youtube.com forward slash laxfactor and you can watch the video version. And it looks like we are about to put a version out on another video platform, although I'm still holding off the announcement until it's official, but it is super close to being official now. So we will actually have two places where you can let, and I'm not talking like Instagram. We throw this whole thing up on Instagram and people barely watch it there because Instagram's not really a long form video place, but we actually have a, a new location to host a video podcast and uh, it's non-political. It's not one of those weird, Hey, we're ditching YouTube for a different place. It's just an additional place. People will be able to watch the uh, podcast and they'll actually be able to watch and listen at the same time, depending. Uh, I don't know if that tips it off, but anyway, let's get into this here. 10 questions for fall ball as posed by inside lacrosse. I'll put a link here um, in the description so you can get to that article. I'll probably forget to do that, but just know you can go to inside lacrosse and find their slideshow. So the first part I want to talk about here though, is, is it's tied to how will the Terps replace Jared Bernhardt? And part of the question there is who's going to end up wearing the new number one. So I saw this news pop as if there were people that were actually surprised that the new number one at Maryland is going to be Logan Wisnowskis. That was an absolute no-brainer. I had said back when it didn't look like Bernhardt was coming back that Wisnowskis was the only person that they could potentially give that jersey number to. And, you know, that that's that's what they ended up doing here now that Bernhardt came back and now that he's gone. Don't get it twisted. Logan Wisnowskis is going to be a very solid number one. Now you, you see when they when when teams pass down these numbers and you saw the the mockery that number twenty two became, not because the players that wore it in the later years weren't worthy of, of putting that number on, because it is just a number after all, but because the expectations get too high and people forget that you're just dealing with a player, a kid, a player on the team. And like with someone like Jordan Evans, they, they, who wouldn't have given their left leg, maybe not their left leg, but their their pinky toe, to have the career that he ended up having at Syracuse. I mean, he was a solid lacrosse player for easily three of the four years, two of the four years, and by his senior year, he was one of their best players, and he was an important piece of that very good team. So I think that a lot too much is often put on the numbers, even by myself at times, but in terms of Logan Wisnowskis wearing the number one for Maryland, I always find a way to bring things back to Cuse. 
in case you haven't noticed. Uh, the kid dude's gonna the dude is going to hold down that fort for sure. He can do a bit of everything. And at times in 2019 and 2020, early on before the 2020 season got shit canned, you wouldn't have been a crazy person for trying to make the argument that that Logan Wisnowskis was Maryland's best offensive threat. Now that came at a time when Bernhardt was not as as crazy as he wasn't as aggressive as he was this year. I think in his case, he left lacrosse for a little while, thought that that was it, and then got a chance to come back and play again. And I think that showed in his on-field demeanor. He came out and played all season like a man in a mission. So there was no question who Maryland's best player was. And I, and I, if you would ask me who's Maryland's best player, I would have given it to Jared Bernhardt. But Logan Wisnowskis was right behind him. And he, he'd oftentimes would get overshadowed by Bernhardt because as part of their scheme, Bernhardt's the main dodger. Bernhardt demanded carries. Not demanded carries himself, but as part of the scheme, Bernhardt got carries. And Wisnowskis oftentimes would end up playing like that second dodger or off-ball sniper, which he does both of those jobs very well. But he can dodge. He can go to the rack. He can dodge. He can finish with the best of them. He can play off-ball. The dude truly has the total package. And and like I said, in 2019 and 2020, there were people in the, in the Maryland camp that, that liked what Wisnowskis did a little bit better than what Bernhardt did. It was only 2021 that there was no question that Bernhardt was the man, but Wisnowskis was right there beside him. Let's look at his stats because Wisnowskis, since transferring from Syracuse, which I would have loved to see this kid play for Syracuse, since transferring away from Syracuse, 2018, kid goes 35 and 15 in his freshman year, 50 points, 40% shooting, 68% of those on cage. Now, a lot of times when dudes put up 50 plus points, you'll end up seeing them get a little bit more attention the following year and their shooting percentage dip. Not so with Wisnowskis, thanks partly to Bernhardt being crazy and them having to to defend Bernhardt so, so hard. 2019, 44 goals, 35 assists, 79 points. He puts up 29 more points in that season. And he increased his shooting percentage as part of that stretch, 41%, 53% on cages. On cage percentage went down drastically, but his shooting percentage went up by one point. And then we're going to skip the 2020 season. He was on pace to tear it up again. That was the season where I thought, man, this kid looks like he might be their best player now. Like he might even eclipse Bernhardt in that 2020 season. That season doesn't happen. Bernhardt ends up coming back after us all thinking he might not. And 2021, Bernhardt tore it up. Best player in the country, in the world, in college across at that point. But Wisnowskis, not to be outdone. Well, he was outdone, but not to be ignored. 41 goals, 31 helpers, 72 points, 39% shooting with a 63% shooting, uh, 63% of those shots coming on cage. So he is not a replacement for Bernhardt. What Bernhardt did in 2021 is going to be very difficult to replicate. So I'm not trying to say that Wisnowskis is going to just Maryland's not going to skip a beat without Bernhardt. They're going to have to figure some things out offensively because Wisnowskis is not the Dodger that Bernhardt is, but Wisnowskis is every bit the finisher that Bernhardt is. And 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 to pretend that Maryland doesn't have other guys that can kind of carry the, the rock a little bit more and dodge a little bit more to help continue to create for Wisnowskis, that you'd be naive to think that. I mean, I think Maltz is going to end up taking over as the primary off-ball guy. And once again, we're getting into that point of the season where I'm not even sure who's still on campus and who's not, but I'm almost positive Maltz is still there. Uh, so I think he'll end up taking over as the primary off-ball guy. And I think he did that a little bit more last year. He was insanely efficient off-ball. He's going to be able to do that, so they're not going to lose anything in terms of off-ball play by making Wisnowskis a little bit more of the focus of the, the initializing aspects of the offense. Um, but still, 
Logan, uh, he can he can make do. He can dodge. He can get to the rack. I, I've already rolled some highlights, I'm sure, where he had that one sick one where he was coming up the left side, up the alley, tight to the crease, and was falling down and stuck it high. I mean, the dude can score highlight real goals. He can score regular bangers. He can, you know, beast one in from outside. He has a little bit of everything. So you Maryland fans are not going to be the least bit upset about having Wisnowskis put on that number one. And I know you guys already know that. It's the rest of the lacrosse world that might not realize that Wisnowskis is the real deal, and I think he'll be a legitimate Twarton candidate through the season here. He's, like I said, Bernhardt's got much of the the media attention because he deserved it. Wisnowskis is every bit of deserving of that attention now that he's going to be that new number one. It's a shame he only gets to wear it one year, uh, I think, but still, who cares? The, The dude's filthy, so... Uh, that's how they're going to replace Bernhardt. They're going to replace Bernhardt by giving Wisnowskis the number one. They're going to try to replace Bernhardt, I should say that way. They're going to try to replace Bernhardt by letting Bubba Fairman carry the ball a little bit more because Fairman's a filthy, you know, he's a pretty filthy midfielder and he's got a dope name on top of it. And then overall, you got Malt stepping in and Maryland's just lock and load. They're ready to go. They've got dudes, they got midfielders for days that can step in and play decent roles and, 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 and draw eyeballs and bump the ball down to attack, allowing Wisnowskis to do his filthy stuff. So it's going to be fine here. Another question they posed, how do the Ivies respond? Other than who gives a shit that, you know, because the Ivies are, you know, the people who run the Ivies are a bunch of douchebags. Um, I think they're going to be okay. I think the Ivy lacrosse teams are going to be okay. I think it would, I think you're going to naturally see they've bled a little bit of talent here, you know, with, uh, with, I'm going to talk about Rutgers here a little bit. And um, uh, they, they stole an Ivy uh, midfielder slash attackman. And I, and I think the Ivy's bled talent, and I think that's going to show a little bit. I don't think there's going to be an Ivy that's going to come out and, and make a run to the Final Four unless they really put something together. I think that two things are going you're going to notice with the Ivies. A little bit less baller talent, although it's still going to be there. It's just going to be new guys that are stepping up trying to take the reins. And I think they're, they're just going to be rusty. Uh, they, they're going to figure it out. They're going to win games. They're going to make, there's going to be an Ivy or two that will make the tournament. I think at least one Ivy is making the tournament and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to still see two Ivy league teams make the tournament because they're still, they, they have lacrosse pedigree. They, they, they play, they play smart lacrosse. They should because they're the Ivy leagues, but you know, a lot of those Ivy leagues play really weirdly blue collar, tough lacrosse Yale. It doesn't get much brute like Yale in Virginia in terms of their their defensive style of plays, beat you up, be all over the field. You know, they they, they play a very blue collar, in your face, beat you up, talk a lot of trash type lacrosse. Some of the Ivies do. So they're gonna be fine. They're gonna be fine. I think that they won't be quite what they were, but give them two years and they'll be right back to rolling again. I think that they just have to figure out who the new guys carrying the rock is going to be for each of them, carrying the torch so to speak, will be for each of them as they some of them bled talent and lost guys to graduation and crap like that. So there, a lot of them are going to be young in terms of guys with legitimate experience, but we'll see as the rosters come out and as they start playing in the end. But I, I predict we still end up with two Ivies making the tournament, but obviously one of them is going to make the tournament by, you know, just the how it works because of the automatic qualifiers. Um, how will Rutgers replace their attack? That was a great question that they had posed there. I actually liked their answers, and I agreed with them. Uh, Charlambides, Mullins, and Kirst all graduate. That's going to hurt. That is going to hurt badly. I don't care who you put in their place. That was a, a good trio of attackmen that clicked. They played well together. 
So they picked up some transfers, but to pretend that they're going to be able to plug anybody in and have that be equaled the success they had last year, at least on the offensive side of the ball, to have that be equaled, not going to happen. The transfers that will help, Ronan Jacoby, Wesleyan transfer, he had 22 goals, five helpers in a short season for Wesleyan last year. They must have played a limited schedule. 2021 for Wesleyan, he had 22 goals, five helpers over five games. So, you know, that's pretty solid. 4.4 goals and one assist per game, 5.4 points per game for those poor at math overall across those five games so he's he'll help but he's not going to light the world on fire uh, by any means now Mitch Bartola Bar- Bartolo from Penn Penn transfer in his last full season with Penn which was 2019 Bartolo put up 17 goals and seven assists he's a big pickup for sure for Rutgers a heady vet but not cursed you know I mean he's not going to be that transfer that comes in and does what cursed did although he, he probably put up 30 40 points I would imagine here Brian Cameron, that's one I'm excited about for them. UNC transfer, 16 goals, one helper for UNC last year. Quality depth for UNC last year on the offensive side of the field that was loaded. And, I mean, he got a bunch of burn, but the the kicker with UNC was just that, you know, they had three, four guys put up most of the points, and then all the guys below were just solid finishers beyond that. So Cameron, he's going to help. But once again, that trio does not equal Charlem Beatties, Mullins, and Curse. Those guys were all killers. And uh, I, I think Rutgers is still going to be good. I think Rutgers is still going to hold down the number, you know, two, three, four spot. I think they're still going to be top four in the Big Ten. Um, and I believe they said that Kirst was coming back to play in cage. The goalie Kirst, whatever he was, Colley was what, Connor and Colin? Connor Kirst is the one that graduated was the attack, I believe, and Colin Kirst, I think, is a goalie. From what I read, I thought it made it look like he might be able to come back for his senior season. So if that's the case, that helps him on the defensive side of the ball a little bit. Rutgers was much improved on defense last year. They actually played pretty tough defense, and they had an offensive, you know, offensive firepower to go with it. But I, I think you're going to see Rutgers be down a little bit. You know, I think they'll still probably win seven or eight games. They're still going to threaten for a spot in the NCAA tournament, but I think it's going to go back to being that Rutgers like biting their nails. Are we getting in or are we not type deal uh, come tournament selection time? Uh, we already talked about uh, Wisnowskis. That was part of the who, how's Maryland going to replace Bernhardt. Now, who's on the Twarton list? I think I talked about this a little bit in my five attackmen that I'm excited to see come back episode that I just threw out there last week. We're going to want now I really mean it now that the third season has started and we're in October, we're going to start pumping these out every week again. Um, Pat Kavanaugh, he's one of my favorites. Uh, Chris Gray is obviously probably the odds on favorite. The, the big money's going with Chris Gray or the smart money. I should say is going with Chris Ray, Gray, the degenerate gambling money for me would go to Pat Kavanaugh. Uh, Kavanaugh though, look, you know, look out for him because he's, he's as exciting as gray, maybe more exciting than gray, because I think he's got a little bit more swag than gray has gray is exciting and plays really fun lacrosse, but his celebrations aren't the greatest. You know, he's a little bit vanilla, whereas a Kavanaugh, he's got those rough edges that you like in a player. He's got that shit talking thing going for him, I believe. So I think Pat Kavanaugh is one of my favorites. Asher Nolting, I think you have to put him in there. I, I didn't see them mention Nolting in the inside lacrosse side of it, but I'm pretty damn sure he's coming back. And uh, beyond Gray and Kavanaugh, I would say Nolting is your third guy, or at least in my opinion, the third guy right there on that list. I'm, you know, he's a beast, killer stick skills, high IQ, high risk, high reward kind of guy, which leads him to turn the ball over a lot. But I've been talking about his turnovers the last two seasons. Last year, he turned the ball over less 
than he had the previous two years in terms of average turnovers per game, even with all of the attention that he was getting uh, every time he touched the ball. So I think he's got a chance. Jack Hanna was someone they mentioned, Jungle Jack Hanna from Denver. Uh, He could have a huge breakout season, and he's going to need to because Denver lost a lot of talent to graduation. Lost two of their those those three starting attackmen uh, in terms of Jackson Morrill and um, uh, what's his nuts uh, the the Walker uh, up there on the left side. Uh, I think Nikai Montgomery could end up uh, threatening a little bit. I don't you don't see a lot of midfielders, so I don't think Hannah and Montgomery are going to be those guys. But uh, depending on what kind of numbers they put up, they could be, and both of them are going to be called upon to put some numbers up for their teams. So I like Montgomery at least being a candidate through the season. Uh, don't front on uh, Connor Schellenberger. He's only going to be a sophomore, but Schellenberger, by the end of the season, Schellenberger was one of the top. He was playing at least like one of the top five guys in the fucking sport at that point. Schellenberger's playoff run was incredible. He He didn't win that tournament for Virginia by any means but without the contribution that he put up and without him him specifically playing at that high a level Virginia does not repeat as a national championship so don't front on Connor Schellenberger even though he's young the Twarton does not typically go to young guys I want to say Mike Powell is one of the youngest guys to win it um I want to say that possibly uh uh I don't know. I think Powell might be the youngest guy to win it. I think he won it as a sophomore, didn't win it as a junior, and then won it again as a senior. Um, So we'll see. I think Thompson might have won it as a junior. He might have won it as a junior and a senior, but Thompson might have even won it as a sophomore and a senior. I'm not sure. Moral of the story that Schellenberger is probably going to make the list through the season, and uh, you know, don't be surprised if he just runs roughshod all over NCAA lacrosse here in 2022. Uh, Sisselberger, they mentioned him. He won't win it, face-off guy, but he's a dominant face-off guy, so I think he has to – they always have a face-off guy or two on the watch list, watch list. so I think Sisselberger has to be on there. Will Bowen on the defensive side, ditching UNC for Georgetown. Georgetown needs him, so he's going to be front and center within that Georgetown defense as they lost, I think, Gibson Smith. I think they lost to graduation. That's a big one. So Bowen, I think, has a – he'll be on the list. He might even make finalist or whatnot, depending on the season he has. That's a huge pickup for Georgetown, by the way, at, a, at the perfect time. Uh, that's going to hurt UNC, though. You lose your best defender uh, to Georgetown, who now picks up a great defender, and they were already a solid defensive team. I think the early favorite for the win, hands down, Chris Gray. Uh, but watch Notre Dame. I feel like Notre Dame could end up winning the ACC. I think Notre Dame's – I don't even know if I'd call him a sleeper. You figure Duke lost a bunch of talent. Um UVA, uh, North Carolina lost a considerable amount of talent. Syracuse loses a considerable amount of talent. Uh, so I like Notre Dame for being like the number one or two team. I think Virginia, for me, is still probably the favorite in the ACC. But I think Notre Dame, uh, yeah, I think all it's, I think it's probably Virginia is the favorite and then everyone right below them. But I like Notre Dame uh, in their shot at, at being the number two team, maybe even the winner of the ACC this year. So I like the chance that Kavanaugh has, even though, once again, younger guy, I think eligibility-wise, he's going to be considered a sophomore because I think the COVID season was his freshman year, but I, he's technically a junior. So the kid's a vet in terms of his mentality uh, and, and, and even experience to a degree, but he's underaged in terms of the, the class that he plays within. Uh, another good question. What's the Q's defense going to look like? Man, Tough call. Anytime you have a new defensive coordinator, you could say that 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 could cause some problems, especially early on in the season. The you offset that worry with the fact that the guy that you brought in is a legend, living Hall of Famer, and uh, Dave Petromala. So you'd like to think that his experience will help 
ease a little bit of that transition issue, the transition issues you might have in trying to learn the new scheme, because it does sound like he's trying to put a scheme in based on the personnel that he has available to him right now. So that's the upside in terms of the, the coaching change aspect of it. Um, but Rodgers was not a, a chump of a defensive coach. I mean, Leland Rodgers was an excellent defensive coach as well. And even with him, they weren't able to put it together. And I think it was because a lot of they just didn't have enough depth of talent, enough qu- quality ta- defensive talent all the way through. They had their top two or three guys. They always had a solid D mid, a solid pole and a solid long pole, uh, long, you know, LSM. But they didn't have three, you know, a crazy style. You know, they had, the, um, you know, like an all-American caliber pole, but then two guys that weren't quite ready to fill that that void uh, behind him. So I don't know. I think it could be rough. I think that they're going to be a little bit inexperienced. They lost some D-mid talent, and I'm not sure that the D-mid talent they have is going to be good enough to get them over that hump. Uh, so I think a lot of it's going to come down to scheming and play. I mean, you have Kennedy back, so that's good, but you got a new goalie. So I think that the, the defense is going to be the big question mark for the Cuse. I think offensively, you're going to see Cuse do excellent, amazing things under Gary Gate with the talent they have on attack and defense. I think it's – or on attack and midfield. I think it's going to be the defensive side that we're all wondering about. But I like our chances with Petro as our coach. Uh, next question. Is UVA the preseason number one? Yes. Yes. The national champ almost always has to be the preseason number one. If if you have to go that way, I think. I think it's stupid not to. The team that won it all, especially the team that won it all, that's bringing back a lot of solid pieces. They have Peyton Cormier coming back. He'll get full-time at attack on that left side with Schellenberger. They're going to be one of the best one-two punches uh, in terms of attack duos in the country. Schellenberger and Cormier will be. And, I mean, listen, they, they, they played well last year, but they both sh- shifted between midfield and attack, you know, because UVA was so loaded offensively. So, yes, UVA lost some dudes last year, um, but bringing these two back is huge, and these two are the types of guys that will fill a void. I believe these two guys were probably – offensively, their best two players overall. I think that Cormier was their best off-ball guy. He could do a little bit of dodging, sniping. He he could – I'm hearing birds here, so I must have a cat in the other room playing. Um, so, yeah, I think that Cormier, you know, was their best finisher last year, and I think that Schellenberger in the end proved he was their best dodger last year. So they bring their best finisher and their best dodger back, uh, two of their top point, point getters. So they're the number one. Uh, defensively is where you're going to have some questions here and there, but they – their de- their style of play defensively is a lot of it makes up for a lack of great ball stoppers with getting out and getting aggressive playing help defense pressuring people running up and down the field so i think that uva has a it, i think they should be the number 1 team and at this point they're right now my favorite for maybe winning it all again i haven't i haven't gone through all the teams yet and looked at all the rosters and looked at who's coming back completely yet but man uva is still one of my favorites to to make the final four again because i think that highly of schellenberger and cormier and everything that they're doing down there and that's coming from a diehard Cuse fan people uh and pd lasala i i forgot to mention they got pd lasala coming back pd fucking lasala so what are you going to do here do i have my pd fucking lasala shirt that we had printed up here Somewhere, I think it's upstairs because I was wearing it, but we do have our Petey fucking Lasala t-shirts. I'll have to bring it out here and show it at the in the next episode because I can't find it. Now I almost want to get up and get it, but now nah, I'm not going to do that. So yeah, Petey fucking Lasala is back too, baby. So don't front on that. They're going to get the ball, win the ball, score goals, and transition off face-offs as well. Um, 
Who's the biggest transfer? That's the next question they asked. I think almost hands down it's Will Bowen. Georgetown, they lose some talent. They replace it with Bowen. Rutgers did well in the transfer portal, but they didn't get anybody at Bowen's level. Uh, with the loss of some serious offensive weapons on Georgetown's side, they need Bowen to play some big defense. So not only is Bowen, I think, the biggest name that, that changed uh, positions here, but Bowen's also going to be immediately called upon to anchor that defense, and it's going to be a good scheme for him, him to run within. So even if you are you make the argument that there were some other big high-profile names or some crap like that, I still think that Will Bowen's the biggest one. Oh, my gosh, man. I don't. I hope you can't hear it. Let me be quiet. Okay, I don't think you're going to be able to hear that bird thing, but I have a cat just raging on a bird toy, and it's going off in the other room here. Um, who will surprise as a mid-major? Uh, they mentioned in their article Bryant, and I agree, man. Uh, but with Bryant, I think there was a little bit of lightning in a bottle, a little bit of playing down. They did play really tough in that first-round loss. But I think that their problem is just going to be you got to have that lightning in a bottle, and it's tough for a team like that to, to come up with that two years in a row. I think that they'll probably make the tournament, tournament, turn, tournament again and get out of their conference. But I don't know that they're going to be – I don't know that that's a surprise to me. I think, once again, not a surprise. I think High Point is going to be another mid-major that's going to be good again because they have probably of all the team, the mid-major teams, High Point has the best player and Asher Nolting of all of the mid-major teams. So I like them. I like Richmond again. So that's a tough one. The mid-majors are always tough to call, too, because the mid-majors are always good for having one or two guys on their roster. Surprise. Like Kevin Rogers last year for High Point. Like, what a pickup he was. And, he, you know, it's like you don't know who's going to be the big cat at their midfield, and then Rogers comes in, cuts his hair, makes himself about a pound lighter, and scores a bunch of goals, and then played really well in the, at the PLL level. Um so I like High Point, I like Richmond, but it's really tough to call, I think, overall, who's going to be good within the mid-major side of it until you start seeing early season who's going to become the new pimp daddy of the mid-majors. And right now, I think Asher Nolting is that for High Point. Next question. How does Brennan O'Neill take over for Duke? Um, he's going to take over just fine, I think. I think Duke lost a lot, uh, but they're still going to be a threat in the ACC and be a threat to make the Final Four just because their whole lock and reload uh, concept works really well for them. I think O'Neill's going to tear it up, though. I think he's good for 50-plus points. Could be 60-plus. I hope we see a feed-the-beast mentality, which you don't often see in Durham, uh, but I hope that we end up seeing that with O'Neill because the kid can dodge, can finish off ball, so you do not have to feed him all the time. He's not that guy who's going to be like a Bernhardt or who's going to be like a, a Grant Amat where they're going to get the ball all the time and dodge at least once or twice on every possession. He doesn't need to do that, but as long as he's getting to the rack and getting looks every other possession or so, that will allow Duke to do their thing and get everybody else involved while allowing O'Neal to do his thing as well because he's just as deadly off ball as he's going to be with the ball here. Uh, and now one thing I will say with O'Neal, Sowers did, did turn a lot of heads. So a lot of attention was paid to Sowers, and O'Neal got to kind of camp on that left side. O'Neill got to be the beneficiary of a lot of two dodges off of setup dodges or primary dodges, meaning someone else went to the rack, kind of maybe drew a slide, maybe didn't even draw a slide, but the defense has to kind of shift a little bit to that. Then you bang the ball twice and O'Neill's on the backside, catching it from X and running hard into the middle of the field with very little help uh, before the defense would get a chance to fully adjust and get the help ready. 
Uh, so I think that helped him a little bit last year, but he doesn't need that. He's not the kind of dude like where I would say Wisnowskis might be a little bit more effective as a two Dodger. I think O'Neill overall is going to be effective as a primary Dodger or a two Dodger. The dude just knows how to get to the rack. He has a nose, probably one of the best finishers by the end of his career that we'll see overall in terms of being able to do it all. The kid's a kid does a little bit of everything, but he does a little bit of everything at a very high level. One thing to watch. He scored the rock at a 36.6% clip last year while putting 64.2 of his shots on cage. 45 goals, 10 assists with a 36.6% shooting percentage. That's going to drop. I think what you're what they're going to ask him to do this upcoming season is probably going to result in about in his shooting percentage probably dropping to the area of 30. If he keeps his shooting percentage above 33, that is a huge accomplishment for him. I think you're going to see his shooting percentage dip to 30, but I think with the increased looks and touches overall, you're still going to see him put up 50, 60-plus points. He could put up more than that. It just depends on what Duke ends up trying to do offensively. Duke, you know, you might find Duke in a situation where they need him to do even more, and the kid could put up 80 points. So things to watch, but you will see guys that were that were kind of the two options of the two Dodger, uh, you know, the second option offensively when they get asked to become the number one option. One of the main things you end up seeing is their their shooting percentage drop. That sometimes happens just as a matter of a guy having a breakout season and you realizing, hey, we got to pay attention to this guy. But with O'Neal, there are no surprises. Day one, teams are going to be game planning for him. So I expect at least early on that that shooting percentage uh, will take a dip against any of the good teams that he plays anyway. Last question here. I've been rambling for a while. How will Johns Hopkins improve with a full fall? They won't. Uh, I've been getting into the crypto here a lot lately. So I've been, you know, we're talking about pumps and dumps and all sorts of things like that. Now, I'm not going to be bullish, as 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 we would say in the stock market or the crypto world. I'm not going to be bullish on John Hop, Johns Hopkins until they give us reason to be. You know, if you're looking at their chart, if we're going to keep continue on with this stupid analogy that my wife wants to choke me for because all I talk about these days is crypto. Um if you're looking at his chart or the, the Johns Hopkins chart, there's not a lot to be all that optimistic about. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to suck. I mean, I think Hopkins is still going to be a top four in the big. Hopkins could come out and surprise having that fall under their belt. But I don't think that the fall, the lack of a fall ball last year was Hopkins' biggest problem. I think Hopkins' biggest problem last year was a lack of quality of depth, lack of a lack of talent, a lack of Joey Epstein panning out. You know, Joey Epstein... Uh, after his freshman season, I was like, this dude is going to be the best attackman in college across for the next three years. And whether it's due to injury or other factors, I don't know, but he has not, he's barely been one of the 10 best attackmen um, in the country. I still have hope that, that he could turn that around and the kid could end up being a Twarton candidate this season. I, he's that good. And if, if the reason for some of his lack of success was due to injury and him still trying to adjust and get back from that, then, then maybe he will have a breakout season here. But I think that the, the big problem with Hopkins is something that you saw with Syracuse too. When, when the guy who's supposed to carry the franchise isn't playing up to that level, you're going to you're going to have some down years and that's what happened with Syracuse where a couple of their recruits that were supposed to be they were top recruits in the country you get a number 1 to a number you get a top 10 kid you figure that kid's going to be one of the best players in the country for 4 years and when they don't pan out that hurts you badly so i think that Hopkins is dealing with uh, defensive issues inconsistent play in the, in the at the goal in cage, I think their midfielders have been decent. I think they've had a couple of guys who have overachieved. Their problem is having the guy that needed to achieve at the right level hasn't. So I think that they could improve if we see a, a really solid Epstein and we see some of these guys fill the holes that they need to fill. 
but I, I just am not bullish on them yet because they have to prove to us that there's going to be reason to be. And we're not going to know that until we see them play. Fall ball isn't going to tell us shit, to be truthful. Um, it will with younger coaches, older coaches. They don't even give a shit if they get a win. They just want to get guys reps and see what they've got and work their systems and crap like that. So I don't know. I don't think it's going to, I don't think fall ball is going to help them much. I think that what's going to help them is a healthy, highly aggressive Joey Epstein. And then some other guys just, you know, maybe finding a a keeper that's solid, that's going to, you know, play a full season without risking being benched or something like that. They've had a lot of instability in goal, uh, in, in Baltimore here for Hopkins. So that's it. I have rambled. I have talked. I am back. Season three, episode 174 is now complete. I think we're going to rock Saturdays until the season starts. And then once the season starts, we'll start going back into Sundays again. But we've got, I think we're going to do Saturday episodes moving forward here through the fall into the winter. We'll put out some throwaway videos here and there. Once we're ready to announce officially the new platform we're going to launch on as well, we'll end up having the video podcast on every platform. So right now the video version of the podcast ends up on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube's the big cat. We're going to add a fourth that we're hoping is going to be just as big for growth for us as, as YouTube has been. And then as always, you get the audio version too. So uh, be sure, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, share, uh, go to laxfactor.com, get yourself some swag, support the channel. And uh, beyond that, we're going to start messing messing around, doing t-shirts with players this year, uh, a little bit, you know, a little bit of uh, screw the NCAA. Now we can start paying players and, uh, and, and hitting up deals with players. So we got some stuff working that we'll announce with that as well here coming up. And uh, I'm back. I apologize for the long hiatus. We had some work shit. We had to get done, uh, but now that the season started, now that October has hit, uh, Lax Factor is back, lacrosse is back, which means I have to be back. Also, I'm not still huge on the PLL. I was reviewing a bunch of my PLL shows, and and you could tell I am not into it. Uh, and it's not a slam on the PLL, man. The PLL is quality lacrosse. I still watch it. I have not enjoyed talking about it and prognosticating about it nearly as much as I have with college lacrosse yet, and I don't know why. I think it's I don't have a dog in the fight. I have a dog in the college fight in Syracuse and these other teams have grown on me. The PLL, they're just, it doesn't seem high stakes enough. It's it's still, even though the quality of lacrosse is ridiculous in the PLL, um, it does still just not feel like it's important and at least not to me yet. And uh, that's not a slam on them. I'm going to eat a lot of shit from the PLL diehards for that. But that's the truth for me. I just, they haven't won me over. I think for me, for them to win me over, they need to get off this stupid new age. Hey, let's uh, not have any team. Let's not have teams tied to local regions. They need to have it, have regions. So even if we're only going to have six, eight teams, whatever it is, put them in a spot and then have that team host one event over the course of the year. And uh, that event is that team's home event, at least. But let's start tying these teams down to regions, even if they're only going to play in that region once all year long. So that's it. I'll be back next weekend, Saturday, in the morning again here. We're going to probably mess around with a little bit of live stuff. That's If we do anything during the week, I think it's going to end up being a, a, maybe a Thursday night live session. But once again, I'm not going to make any promises other than we're going to do the long show on Saturday every weekend here through the rest of the winter. So as always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. 